All right, we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 19. Uh, we're going to focus on verses 38 and to 42. And uh, this lesson uh, is going to deal with secret discipleship. Secret discipleship. Uh, and this is that ongoing issue that I've really felt the need to teach about this past year. Uh, and that is the issue to understand about the difference between day one as a Christian and day two and the rest of your life. And day one, as you know, is you being saved, having nothing to do with anything that you did other than recognize that you were lost and God gives you the grace to reach up and, and ask God for a savior. And when, you, when he does that, when he pours his grace into your heart and you, you accept Jesus Christ instantaneously on that day, you are saved instantaneously on that day. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, that had nothing to do with any willfulness on your part, but now day two comes, and day two requires willfulness. And willfulness, really, another word for willfulness in day two is discipleship, uh, meaning uh, making yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're going to study today two guys uh, who were effectively secret disciples, uh, and we're going to talk about secret disciples because I think that's an issue that affects much of the Christian world. So John 19, uh, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Uh, and so now we, we're going to see uh, the first manifestation of these men stepping out publicly uh, for Jesus. And in many ways, it's a sad and striking story because Jesus is summarily rejected by his own people. The Jews have rejected him. The religious elite have rejected him. Yes, many people have come to accept Jesus, but that's not, those are people not within the religious elite. Uh, and now we've come across Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus. Both of these guys are in the ruling council. They're in the Sanhedrin. Both of these guys are wealthy. Now, we know the story of Nicodemus uh, because we know Nicodemus. That was in John chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, and in that story, Nicodemus um, comes to Jesus at night. Uh, and he says to, to Jesus, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher of, from God because no one can do these things. And so he begins to obviously discuss with the Lord the fact that he has some exalted place in, in the kingdom of God. He doesn't recognize that he's the son of God, but he recognizes that he has some special call. And as you recall that story, uh, Jesus cuts right through everything, which I love about Jesus. Jesus doesn't get involved in, in, in political correctness. Jesus tells him immediately, you must be born again. Uh, and I want you to recognize the, the import of those words. He's speaking now to one of the most holy guys, 
one of the most publicly religious guys in Israel, and he doesn't say, good work, keep it up. You're a good man. But he doesn't say that. He tells him, you must be born again, meaning you're lost. Where you are right now is zero, uh, and you need to come to terms with what you are. And coming to terms with what you are means recognizing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and without recognizing him as your Lord and Savior, you are lost. Now, Nicodemus disappears. We don't hear a word from him after that. All right. I suspect as I, I studied this and uh, read some theological writings on it, most likely Nicodemus went back and looked in the scriptures to see this issue. Where would the Messiah come from? What was God's words about repentance and about a Savior? And I believe he did that. Well, you can imagine that as the couple of years go by and this percolated in his heart, uh, I believe that Nicodemus uh, recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, I believe that, and frankly, there would have been no reason why he would have put himself in a public display position to go and take the body of Christ other than he had come to accept this. Uh, but fear had kept him silent. Fear. He was afraid of being rejected by the Sanhedrin, being rejected by powerful Jews. And how many of us are in that situation? That we, you know, that many of us have been Christians for years, but we've never spoken out about our faith. You know, it's like that old story you hear about two guys at a water cooler in, in, a, in a company, and, and one guy says to the other, well, uh, you know, uh, I'm a Christian, and the other guy says, you've got to be kidding. I never would have expected you to be a Christian. You never said a word. You never gave me any indication. I haven't seen any fruit in your life. I've seen nothing that would have told me that. Uh, obviously, you've done a really good job about keeping this secret. How many of us fall into that category? Really? How many of you fail to speak to your family members about, about what Jesus means to you? How many, how many of you have failed to do that? Or, or at your country club, when an opportunity comes up, you begin to talk about Jesus. How many of us do that? And I know some of you say, John, if I do that, uh, I'm going to lose a lot of friends. Well, you want to know something? If you lose them, then they weren't worth having as well. All right? Let's understand that. They weren't worth having. Because God will give you better friends. Did you ever think you'd have friends like this in your life? I know I never did. All right? These are the kind of friends that God gives you, the friends that are with you through thick or thin, that love you and care for you and pray for you. All right? And so God is showing us that secret discipleship is nowhere. Nowhere. Now, we don't know much about Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, uh, we know that he was extremely wealthy. There are some writers that say that when the wealthy man came to Jesus uh, and said, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've followed the commandments all my life, uh, what else must I do? And Jesus said to him, go and sell all your goods, give away to the, to the poor, and pick up your cross and follow me. There's some, many writers think that that might have been Joseph of Arimathea because it says he went away sad, all right? Uh, and uh, many people believe that Joseph of Arimathea was one of the wealthiest guys, wealthiest guys uh, in all of, of Israel. Um, it's interesting because uh, if you uh, look at note three on my outline, I refer there to Mark, Mark chapter 15. Why don't we turn to Mark 15? Mark 15, verse 43. And we'll start with verse 42. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. That's an interesting note. Who was waiting for the kingdom of God, an indication 
is that he had recognized that something great was on the horizon in Jerusalem, waiting for the kingdom of God. I believe it is an indication that he's waiting for the Messiah, that he's waiting for the kingdom of God to, be, to come to fruition. Uh, and so obviously a godly guy, obviously uh, uh, he had been a disciple of Jesus. We don't really know when he had been, come across Jesus. But again, he was a secret disciple. He didn't come out publicly for Jesus. Uh, he didn't follow Jesus around. Uh, and, and, and so it's important to tell, to tell you this. Uh, furthermore, uh, we're, we were told in Luke, uh, verse, uh, chapter 23, that, uh, that Joseph had, uh, had not consented on the council to those who had condemned Jesus. He had not consented. Um, uh, and so he did not vote approval for the death of Jesus. And we know also that Nicodemus had absented himself from that vote. Yet these protests were silent ones. Uh, and so the question becomes, well, if you're not publicly speaking out about Jesus, are you truly converted? Um, and, and so let me, let me put this issue to rest right now. Because we love to be able to make the decision on who's saved and who's not, don't we? Oh, gosh, we love that. We love that. You know, oh, that person's not saved. Uh, and what I'd rather contend is that God, you, God doesn't speak to you about who's saved or not. That's between God and the person. Um, and I go back, as I understand this issue, I go back to the thief on the cross. I can't go back to any better example. That's Jesus one-on-one -on -one with a sinner. And what I see there in that example is uh, when that sinner recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God, and all that thief does is said, Lord, will you remember me this day when you come into your kingdom? There it is. It's not theology 101, okay? It's not let's find the nearest body of water and get baptized in water. I'm strung up here on a cross. What am I going to do? And you see Jesus cutting through all of it and going to the heart of it. This day, Jesus said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. So what does it mean? It means that the act of salvation itself on day one is the recognition of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Now, we tie in all the discipleship traits, all the carrying the cross and walking with the cross, which is day two, but the day one experience is salvation. As I was discussing this with my wife uh, on the way to church, uh, she made a very interesting point. Uh, and she told me that as a Roman Catholic, and she was raised as a Roman Catholic, went right through Catholic school all 12 years, all right? All 12 years. We met in college uh, at that point. But I knew when I met her that even though she, she came from a different religious perspective that I, that I came from, I knew clearly she was saved. I knew that right away. She told me that she had been taught in Catholic school that Jesus would have died on the cross if she was the only one living in the world. How do you like that? All right? That's, that's Catholics teaching Catholics. Jesus died, would have died on the cross if you were there only by yourself. Now, here's the difference. They don't have the same vocabulary that we have. You understand that? They don't have that vocabulary. And I understand that there are theological differences in their doctrine, and I'm not talking about those theological differences. I'm stripping all that away. I'm focusing strictly on Jesus. And so if somebody has been taught that Jesus died on the cross only for you, well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you right now, that's salvation, okay? They may not call it the same way we have. 
They may not have that personal language, but I want you to understand that. That's why I want you to understand. Just like I said, many Baptists are saved. You get the drift. Many Catholics are saved as well. All right? In other words, it's not the label that saves you. All right? It's not the label that saves you. It's the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, and so I, I want to emphasize that. That's why we study discipleship. So here's these two guys secretly, obviously, believing in Jesus, and I believe indicating that they were saved, but not publicly speaking out, not publicly talking about it, not letting other people know who they are. Uh, and, and so uh, we know this because we, we don't see any evidence in any of the Christian documents. Now, in their defense, in their defense, uh, one might say, well, look, they stepped out at a time when his own disciples took off. Where are the other disciples? They, they split. There were no way, they, were no, they were not around at all. Only John is there at the cross. Only John is there at the cross. Uh, the rest of them have split, and so nobody is taking care of the body of Jesus. So they step up, and they do that. Um, and, uh, and so the question is, does this say more about them or more about the other 12, the other 11? Uh, and you, you can make a good argument. And I write in the outline, many memorials have been built in churches, many stained glasses have been installed, many chairs of theology uh, have been endowed uh, by people who have come no closer to the possession of eternal life than to have a guilty conscience. Just because you step up and you endow a chair of theology or pay for stained glass windows in a, a church or build a memorial, that doesn't mean you're saved. Uh, the question is, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Uh, and so this is a lesson about secret discipleships. That's, that's what this is about. And why were they secret? There's no mystery. They were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of their position, their standing. Everything that they had worked their life to achieve, they thought would be ripped apart and destroyed. And so what happens is they were more caring about the praise of men than about the praise of God. Now, that's a sad statement to make, but are, are, can we say that many of us are not like that? You're so concerned about how your children will view you. You don't want to speak to them about, about God. I had a, a lady in the 11 o'clock class told me that after I spoke about this several weeks ago that she said, I just can't speak to my kids about God because I feel like my life is not fully in accord with God. Well, whose life is fully in accord with God? Really, that's like somebody saying, I'm waiting to be saved until I clean up a few things in my life. Are you kidding me? You can't clean up anything. All right, that's the whole part of salvation. You come before the cross of Christ and bow in submission, and he cleans it up. So the question becomes, yes, you have to speak to your children. Yes, uh, but you have to pray at the same time. Uh, and, and the problem is to pray as to how God wants you to speak. How do you go from being saved to being a public disciple? You say it in a loving way. You say to your children, I want you to know what Jesus Christ means to me, how he's changed my life, how every day I, I'm not in fear. When I get up in the morning, I'm not in fear of what will happen to me because I know he holds me and guides me and walks with me. That's what you say to your children, and I love you, and I want you to be with me when I go to heaven. And then when they say, well, that's very arrogant on your part. How do you know you're going to heaven? Because I've got the ticket, and it's got Jesus' name on it. All right? I told the story last week at 11 o'clock class, but just before the 11 o'clock class, I'm in the bathroom, right down the hall here, uh, as I'm walking over to the gymnasium. And there's probably 25 people in the bathroom, 
packed. And I'm in there, all right? I'm in there. And a, a wise guy comes into the urinal, into the area, and he goes, who's going to heaven? <laughs> Nobody said a word. <laughs> Until I said, I'm going. I'm going. Now, and then everybody laughed. I'm going, right? How do I know I'm going? I'm going because I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Can I get an amen from that? You understand that, folks? That's not pride. It's not arrogance. It's a recognition of what was done on the cross. Jesus Christ. That's why when you get up, you know every day if something were to happen today, you're going. You're going. I'm going to give you a hint. When we get over there every Monday morning or Sunday, get together, we're going to be doing this thing. Put it on your schedule. And Jesus is going to be coming in as guest speaker. And then probably the apostles as well. It's going to be pretty impressive. I'm sure Paul will show up. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it's going to be like, honestly? But you're going. Now, don't you want to give that to your kids? Wouldn't you love your kids to have that same belief and faith that they could get up and publicly say this? All right? I hope you could get up publicly and say this. I'm going to heaven. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so, yes, this is what a lot of people do today. They haven't fully come to terms with what it means to be a disciple. This is what Jesus meant when he said, you must take up your cross and follow me. You must sanctify yourself. You must make a funeral to yourself. You must bury yourself. All those elements of self-satisfaction that we spend our life with, all of that gets buried as we follow and walk with Jesus. And this is the daily walk of, of sanctification, of prayer, and Bible study, and serving and walking in Christ Jesus. This is how you become a disciple. This is day two. This is important. This is very important, because this is what Jesus wants us to do. Uh, and so look, if you're tied up and looking to advance yourself in this world, and you're concerned, well, if I come out, I'm going to affect myself and my company. People will think I'm a flake. I'm not going to be put on important committees. I'm going to lose the, the, the friendship of wealthy people. Let me tell you something. Forget all that. You live to be 100. Maybe. You live to be 100, and then all of a sudden the switch goes off and it's all done. And everything that you thought was so critical and so important and all those relationships meant so much to you, and you've spent your life clawing up the corporate ladder or clawing up the economic food chain, and all of a sudden it's gone. It's gone, and now you're face-to-face -face with Jesus. And so the question is, what have you done to advance the cause of Christ? What have you done? Uh, and so here, this is what strikes me as so unusual. This, in a day and age like we have, that every possible vice of humanity is coming out of the closet, right? Every possible vice is coming out of the closet today, and that is extolled, right? It's extolled. Uh, what is it that we can't come out of the closet for Christ? What is it? Why is that? Right? And I'm going to say that that's the, uh, that's the uh, impression that Satan wants to leave. That's what the world wants to leave. That's the last thing they want to have done. They don't want you being out there exposing yourself as a disciple of Christ, letting other people know who you are uh, and seeing the impact of that life. And, and, and when you don't do this, how dangerous this, this 
situation is. Uh, it's dangerous. And I understand that some of us may find it a little distasteful. We find it difficult. But I'm going to tell you something. As you give yourself over to Christ as a, a fully as a disciple and you walk with him, every day you will be strengthened in a way that you never thought possible. Listen, when I was 50 years old, I could barely get up in church and say amen. All right? I could barely get up in church and say amen. Now you might say to yourself, I don't get it. How could a guy who spends his life in court speaking to thousands of people all over the country. Why couldn't he get up in church and speak publicly in church? Because I hadn't submitted myself to God. You understand? I hadn't fully submitted myself to God. And so in many ways, I felt restrained. All right? And then I looked at my father, who was a holy man, and my grandfather were holy people, and I was nothing like that. How could God in any way use somebody like me? It was only when I finally came to understand that nobody is holy. You understand? Nobody is holy. So let's understand that right from day one. Even the people that you think are holy are not holy in the sight of God. We are only holy as we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's when we're holy. And when I came to fully understand that, that I was not holy, but that because God had called me and washed me with the blood of Jesus, suddenly I was able to speak out. And as I began to speak out and the Holy Spirit affirmed me, then every day it became easier and easier and easier. And now today I can barely shut up. <laughs> and so here's the question, really. Here is the question. I want you to know this very clearly. That as you step up in discipleship and make yourself known to the world, uh, that you will be able to confess Christ more openly day after day after day. Uh, and, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9. You know, this is often not taught in churches uh, because we get caught up about, about uh, salvation, but we don't really understand the day two concept, which I really believe is important. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And Jesus said to them, All, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Uh, I mean, this is an amazing passage, really. You're ashamed of Jesus? There's no problem. Day's going to come when, when I may be ashamed of you. And that's a horrifying thought. But you see this concept here, uh, this concept, if you would come after him, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? It means now that you've experienced salvation, now there is another experience for you to have, and that is an experience of spiritual depth. All right? A spiritual depth. Because now when you take up the cross, taking up the cross is a public demonstration of your walking with Christ. You don't take up a secret cross. You take up a public cross. Meaning what? Meaning that there are vicissitudes in life that are confronting you. All right? Persecutions, suffering, health deficits, all of that. Put that all in the basket. And now instead of blaming God and being angry about this and being sullen and despairing, instead you know that Jesus has saved you, that you're going to heaven. You take up that cross with all those deficits, with all those problems, and you walk daily with him. You walk with a smile on your face. 
You walk so that you are publicly demonstrating to the world what it means to be saved. This is what separates us from the lost world. This is why when you go to a hospital and you go down the hall and you look in one room where there's somebody who's dying without Jesus and it's dark and you could barely walk into the room and then you go further down the hall and you see somebody who has fully given themselves over to Christ who is dying also and yet the joy comes out of that room. I can't tell you the number of people that I've spoken to in hospitals who were dying but were sold out to Jesus that spoke so deeply to my heart. I love these people as they demonstrated what Jesus means to dying people. He means everything. Look, you can't die. You can't die right unless you die with the Lord. I want to tell you that. Look, and we're all getting older, so this important lesson. I want you to hear it from me straight. You can't die right unless you're dying with Jesus next to you. And when I see people that have died with Jesus next to them, I've seen the most glorious deaths. And the sermons that speak volumes to my heart that I will never forget. Those are the people that I remember. Those messages I remember more than I remember any one of the thousands of sermons that I've listened to. Yes, God uses the sermons, but God uses even more importantly the life of Christians as he paints the message of hope on their lives and they walk with the cross of Christ. You understand what discipleship is? All right. And this is this important lesson that we're going to continue with next week as you walk, walk as Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea walked and publicly took up the body of Jesus. And we're going to continue with this next week. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the lesson that you've given to us. Lord, I thank you for the example of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And God, I understand that you're warning us about secret discipleship. And we don't want to be secret disciples. We want to be the most public of disciples. We want to be the kind of people that demonstrate with our life that we believe in you, that we walk with you, that every day the essence of our life is about you in every way. Lord, be with our people. Let this lesson resonate and grow in their hearts and lives. Protect them this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.